just as some opened the door for me and held it open for me to walk through. Uh, I felt at the time and still do today that it's still my responsibility to hold the door open for now what is much, much uh, larger numbers of Hispanic, Latino, uh, young men and women who want to walk through the same door. Welcome, Titans, to Fram and Friends, a Cal State Fullerton podcast in partnership with Titan Radio. Today's guest is quilted into the fabric of Cal State Fullerton and will soon become only the 19th person in CSUF history to earn an honorary doctorate of humane letters, the highest distinction the university can bestow. He has more than earned it, and you will soon learn why. Here to introduce him to the podcast is your host and president, Fram Vergie. Hey, everyone. Uh, good to speak with you virtually. Uh, hope you're having a, a, a good winter and getting ready for finals and uh, um, are going to have a blessed holiday. I am so excited, so excited today to have um, our guest, Gaddy Vasquez. Um, it's an honor, a privilege, and um, uh, a family uh, affair as far as we are concerned. Uh, Gaddy, uh, I and many around Orange County know your amazing story. Uh, born in uh, Carrizo, Texas, mm -hmm. uh, son of immigrant farm workers, uh, uh, an emphasis by your parents. I've heard you say many times of service and community, uh, youngest police officer in the city of Orange ever, uh, first Latino and uh, on the Orange County Board of Supervisors, uh, chief appointed appointment secretary for the governor, for Governor Duke Magian, um, director of the U.S. Peace Corps, appointed by President Bush. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Agency for Food and Agriculture in Rome, you know, in the, with the Holy See. How amazing is that? Um, Senior VP of Government Relations for Edison International, one of my old clients. I just mm -hmm. love that connection. Um, President's Commission on White House Fellows, uh, California Criminal Justice Council, National Board of the Salvation Army. What an amazing organization that is. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Um, that's a long an impressive list, um, uh, but not an exhaustive one by any stretch. But I will say as amazing as it is, it's only a list. Uh, you've done so many things, but I would really like to concentrate on the why that you did those things. Um, it's a list of an amazing accomplishments, but for our listeners, especially for our students, but for our, all our listeners, I'd like to concentrate uh, on, on, the, on the how mm -hmm. and, and what prepared you, who prepared you for those things. I'd love to explore those things. So my first question for you um, isn't even really about you. Uh, it's about mom and dad mm -hmm. um, and maybe anyone else that influenced you early on in your life. Uh, in, in my discussions with folks, uh, often I find that it's those early years uh, that really influenced them that to who they, where they went, what they did, how they became. So you and I are both of an age mm -hmm. where we look back and we uh, think about those things. So starting at your, with your time in Texas, who was it? What happened? How come? Yeah. 
Well, thanks, first of all, Fram. It's great to be here and to be able to have this conversation with you. And I will say that the journey itself began uh, in the state of Texas, where I was born in Carrizo Springs, Texas. And I am the descendant of a migrant farm working family, which is for those, because occasionally people say, well, you know, you're an immigrant family. And I say, no, I'm a descendant of a migrant farm working family. And there's a big distinction. I remember being in front of a Senate confirmation committee, and one of the senators made reference to, well, my parents were were immigrant farm workers. And I said, no, my parents were migrant farm workers. And migrant farm workers are the men and women who labor in the fields, harvesting the crops for minimum wage, difficult working conditions, challenging, uh, whether it's 110 or 80 degrees, doesn't matter. You still got to go out. You got to do the labor. And it's a very difficult uh, lifestyle and, and a, a challenging environment in which to live. But my parents uh, migrated from Texas to California, and we lived in uh, northern California for for a while in a little town, uh, which some of the listeners will probably know is Watsonville, California, sure. agricultural belt. But it's one of those places you go to to work because you know that there is a constant cycle of, of harvest. Uh, we lived in a one bedroom trailer that uh, had no running water, no heating, no cooling, no electricity. It was just a shell of a, of a trailer that somebody had given up on. My dad put aluminum siding uh, on the side of this this uh, trailer, which I, I carry the photo of that trailer with me everywhere I've been from Rome to Rosemead, to Washington, D.C. It has prominently been displayed in my offices because one, it's a daily reminder for me from whence I've come. But it also, I think, gives people a sense of who I am as a person that I've never forgotten that experience. Because as a, as a little boy, I recall very distinctly that uh, people who back then were referred to as different than homeless. Today, we use homeless as to define people who, who don't have a shelter, who don't have a roof over their heads. Back then, it was, you know, people would say, well, they're the hobos, they're hobos. the, you know. And so they would come and knock on the door. I was, I, I was just a child, but I remember the images of these men tapping on the door, my mother opening the door, and um, them asking for if there was anything to eat. Uh, we were as poor as all get out, and I would watch her and put together a burrito or burritos, plural, and and give it to these men. Of course, that would start a cadence of knocks on the door, which more people would would show up. Uh, but she never turned a single person away, and and so that image of seeing my mother take from the little that we had to feed those who needed it the most at the time. Uh, left a very powerful impression for me. Uh, when I was a young child, I remember seeing, for example, the commercials of the Peace Corps. And the spokesperson for the Peace Corps then was Bob Hope. Mm -hmm. And he would say something to the effect of, hi, this is Bob Peace Corps Hope. And he would go into a talk about going to go serve in Tanganyika, which of course, as you know, is a different country today, a different name. But I remember those images in black and white commercials and thinking as a child, God, what, should, what an amazing experience to be able to go to a faraway land here. I'm living in poverty. We're barely making it. And I'm already starting to think, gosh, wouldn't it be great to go far away? Far be it from me to to think uh, or to ever even contemplate that Dream. I would eventually become the director of the Peace Corps, no less. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things I did when I got to Washington was I asked the communications director to see if she could pull up some of those Bob Hope commercials that were in the library. And she did. And it just took me back. I thought, how fortunate and blessed I am to be able to have you know, made this circle. But I also had a mother who, notwithstanding that neither of my parents uh, graduated from high school, 
they were determined that we were not going to be a, a recycle of their lives or a repeat of their lives and that we were going to make something of ourselves. And the way that we were going to find it was to get an education and acquire a full education. And so I became the first person in my family ever to graduate from a college or university with a college degree. And it was at her insistence and persistence that we stayed on this course, we stayed on this path, uh, notwithstanding that their knowledge of what education in great detail was. They didn't know what it they, meant. But they, they knew the concept was a good one. It was going to be a healthy one and yeah. that it would yield a good return because she did not want to see us living in a trailer with no running water, heating, cooling, or electricity. So today when I see young people, young men and women at Cal State Fullerton and other campuses uh, who have, have traveled a similar path, I can relate to that and I can appreciate and value uh, both the, the challenges, but I can also articulate for them the opportunities that I've been able to to uh, enjoy in my life. Uh, it hasn't always been easy. It's been challenging, but uh, I don't think there's anything these days in life that is without its challenges. But when you've been grounded by parents who have given you the foundational uh, training or understanding that uh, you can accomplish these kinds of things, I celebrate. And so when I speak to young audiences today, particularly Latino audiences, I'll always open with one, the picture of the trailer always goes up on the big screen because uh, I want people to get to know me immediately. And then the second one is I ask, so how many of you are first gen uh, college students uh, or graduates? And uh, a lot of hands go up. And I always say, you know, I long for the day when I ask that question and just a few hands go up right. because once we get there, then we're going to be in a much better place. And so will our state and our nation, because uh, like Cal State Fullerton, uh, this university is producing some of the finest men and women who are contributing to the, not only to the economy, but to the betterment of society and all that we need to, to really build a strong future for America. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm first gen too. And I, I, I tell students that I remember my parents had no idea what going to college meant. They knew you were either going to be a doctor or a lawyer. That was mm. one of the two. And they mm -hmm. saw my math grades and they decided I was going to be a lawyer. <laughs> but I also also teased my mom and dad. They, when they dropped me off at college, they slowed down the car and pushed me out the door because they were afraid. They were afraid to stop. They couldn't answer my questions. They didn't know what it meant. They didn't know whether they were welcome. They didn't know whether they belonged. And they weren't sure whether I belonged or not. And I see our first generation students on our campus every day. And uh, I can tell which ones are first gen because they're not just carrying their backpack, they're carrying mom and dad. Right. Uh, and brothers siblings, and sisters. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So how was it that your family made it to Watsonville from Texas? What was it? Was it, was it uh, farm work? Yeah, it was the opportunity. It was just a better quality of life. They had relatives in uh, in the northern central area of California who said, come on this way. And, and it was also what resulted in us moving to Orange County was that my father had relatives here who said, come on this way. There's a better life down here okay. rather than than harvesting crops every day, you know, bending over and having to harvest those things and, you know, throw your back out. All the physical challenges that farm workers are fully understand anybody who's been a farm worker and is in within the sound of my voice will know what I'm talking about when it comes to the physical challenges. Today, when I see, uh, I, I remember one friend, one, 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 our, our son, who's now a grown man, uh, he was very, very young and we were uh, making the, the uh, transition from the five to the 405 down in Irvine. And there's uh, folks who live here will know that there's a big strawberry field sure. in that area just south of what used to be the El Toro Marine Corps Station. And we were stuck in traffic one day. And he was very young. He was just a little boy. And, and he was observing the workers, how they were carrying the trays of strawberries over their shoulders, and they were running toward the truck. 
And out of curiosity, he says, Dad, why, why are they running? Why, why don't they walk? Why are they running to the truck? Well, I said, because they get paid by the tray. Mm-hmm. And so they have to hurry to get the tray to the truck so that the man will punch the card. Then they go back to with another tray and fill that one, and it keeps going all day long. And uh, I reflected on that when it was insightful for him, but it was a reminder of the challenges that the men and women who work in our agricultural fields have to endure every day. And things Still. like running to and from these trucks because, you know, time is money and you've got to get to that next empty tray and fill it up again. So those things stay with you for a lifetime. And so uh, a relative of my father said uh, one day, why don't you come on down? There's a company down here, Anderson Desk Company. Uh, and and I, I never forget the name because it was that opportunity that my dad seized upon uh, to move us to Orange County. And uh, he and, and his cousin would commute to the Anderson Desk Company in downtown Los Angeles where they manufactured office furniture. And my dad you know, was a sprayer and did, did that kind of work for a number of years. And they did the I-5 commute from Orange County to LA every day. And, but it, it beat the, the harvesting of the crops and the physical demands that uh, that other job had. So it, it was an opportunity. And we settled in, uh, in the city of Orange, which uh, turned out to be the place of my uh, really young development as an elementary school student, a high school student, uh, and, and a great community that gave me tremendous grounding and has helped shape who I am today. A, a giving community, a community that was inclusive. The fact that my name is Vasquez, and my skin was brown was never an impediment to achieving scholarships, support, the kinds of things that I needed for good grounding. And I still live there, forever indebted to, to that city and the people of that city who provided a, a means and, and some teachers who were extraordinary. I, mean, I, I gotta tell you that uh, I think teachers by and large are, are, are not given the due and the respect uh, that uh, so many of them have earned and deserve. I was a fortunate kid to have some of the most amazing teachers. And I had a, a principal who actually was my principal for all three years of middle school. And at the time that I went from middle school to Orange High School, he got promoted to be principal oh, of Orange High School. So I had the same principal for six years of my uh, public education. And, and uh, Jack Fox was his name, God bless him. Uh, he, he tracked me, kept an eye on me to make sure I was you know, staying the course and get to a good place. You know, um, one of the, uh amazing traits you have is painting a picture. And I can, you know, you, 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 you talk about your parents coming from Texas, you coming from Texas, going to Northern California, coming South. I can see that. And it's amazing to me that with all the, um, development of, of, uh, uh, technology, those farm workers are still out there doing it the same way. One of the most touching stories, uh, I've ever heard, was when I was general counsel for the system, I was at uh, Channel Islands and I was talking to the um, the student government leadership mm-hmm. and the president of student government. And I, I was asking, you know, what's your story? How did you get here? And he, uh, and what do you love about Channel Islands? It was a great, a great university. And he said, I love the colors of Channel Islands. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, and the colors of Channel Islands are red and white. Mm. And he said, the red of Channel Islands is the colors of my parents' hands because Mm. they're right outside picking strawberries. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me every day of who I am, how I got here, where I got here. So look, uh, you came to Orange County and you've Mm -hmm. seen amazing change in Orange County. 
What, how has Orange County changed? I'm not physically sure, but how has it changed for you? What do you see as the differences today than when you got here and when you were growing up uh, with your uh, principal for six years? Well, we, we've gone through phases. Of course, uh, the, this, the, the county itself has always been uh, a center of, uh, uh, back in the early days when we first moved here, obviously a center of conservatism, uh, a place where enterprise was highly promoted, a place where people like Dr. Arnold Beckman, who had offices not far from the university here, uh, was an extraordinary scientist and researcher who was worldly acclaimed for just un incredible innovation, deep, deep uh, respect for the work that he accomplished. Uh, Cal State Fullerton, of course, uh, and eventually UCI uh, was developed uh, in its current location. Uh, I was fortunate to know Daniel Aldrich, who was the founding chancellor of UCI, sure. and to learn about what they envisioned for the university to, to, to see it today as it was with Cal State Fullerton when people had these visions of these universities. Because I think, Fram, I think, I think people who understand the correlation between education and an economy uh, can, can appreciate the fact that uh, for a county to flourish and grow like Orange County has evolved into, uh, aside from the hospitality tourism industry, which obviously took off in 1955 when Disneyland opened, that was a game changer. That little I place mean, down yeah, the road. Yeah. yeah, the little place down the road uh, with the mouse. I mean, it, it, it changed everything and it started then to create uh, a different kind of mindset where Orange County was not, uh, was not like Los Angeles or part of Los Angeles, because in many instances, even as recently as the time I was serving overseas, um, I would say to people that I was from Orange, California, Orange County, California, and people say, oh, Los Angeles. I said, no, 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 <laughs> we are not Los Angeles. And and I'd have to always refer to Disneyland. Sure. And the minute I mentioned Disneyland, because, oh, I know exactly where you're talking about, uh, because we're sort of that place between Los Angeles County and San Diego County. Yeah. But what a place. I mean, this, this county has evolved, has flourished, has grown, has Sixth expanded. largest county in the country. Absolutely. And the economy that that is the envy of some nations, uh, many nations in the world. Right. Uh, and we've done it uh, achieving a balance of, uh, of transition and transformation. After the fall of Saigon, the migration of many, many Vietnamese, yeah. after the fall of Phnom Penh, Cambodians, uh, influx of Korean Americans, Latinos. It's a welcoming place, believe it, it or not. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think what's remarkable, and I think it's predicated on, on the mindset about the economy, about education, about enterprise, about promoting enterprise, and, and, and understanding how those are all integrated. It creates the quality of life that becomes more inclusive. And so we have gone through these transitions demographically, ethnically, socially, economically, politically. And are still uh, going through them and will still go and through And will go through them, but we have some of the most enviable housing prices. Now they're high, you know, affordability sure. is a big issue. But the point in all of it is, is that our economy remains robust. We remain a center of enterprise and innovation. Uh, but I think it's part of the culture of Orange County that, that's been sustained, which is um, uh, business as a catalyst and as a driver, Partnering with local institutions like Cal State Fullerton creates the workforce. Uh, I'll give you one example. I promoted the idea years ago when I was affiliated with St. Joseph Hospital Foundation where there was a nursing shortage. Um, and I said, well, maybe a conversation with Santa Ana College might be in good order because they have a nursing program. They're one of the few community colleges that do. And that resulted in a, in a narrative, a dialogue that has established Santa Ana College as an incubator for nursing professionals, yeah. which, of course, are critical to the future of Orange County, given that 
healthcare services are going to be part of that integration. So I think uh, as I've watched Orange County and being the first person of color elected to the Board of Supervisors in Orange County in 1988, uh, I, I won't deny I got hate mail. I got back nasty calls, mm -hmm. people who were, were very uh, derogatory, very negative on the basis of my ethnicity and my last name. But to me, uh, looking straight ahead, uh, being determined, looking forward was more important because, you know, my view is that to whom much is given, much is required. And as someone of, of, uh, of Hispanic origin, of Mexican origin, my philosophy has always been that just as some opened the door for me and held it open for me to walk through, uh, I felt at the time and still do today that it's still my responsibility to hold the door open for now what is much, much uh larger numbers of Hispanic, Latino, uh, young men and women who want to walk through the same door that I walked through. And somebody held it for me and I stand ready to hold it for others to follow. And so Orange County, I think it's not without its, its challenges and without its blemishes and imperfections and whatnot. But I think by and large, I think we can say that we have been able to usher in a transformation on virtually every level and we've been able to sustain a robust economy, an inclusive environment that uh, lends itself to people who want to work hard, who want to prepare themselves for the future. And I think we will continue to be uh, an incubator uh, in, in many sectors in this county to do innovative things that the rest of the world uh, is watching. I, I was at a, on a panel just yesterday uh, on the history of the toll roads in Orange County. Mm. And I remember 20 plus years ago, I was on the board of the toll road agency and the public opposition to the toll roads was absolute sharp and aggressive. Uh, people were tying themselves to the tractors, to the earth movers. They were putting solution in the gas tanks to stop the movement <laughs> of the earth to build the toll roads. Today, people say to me, gosh, you know, love those toll roads. <laughs> what would we do without the toll roads? And I say, would you like to see the battle scars that I have from those days? Because there was a lot of opposition. Sure. But, you know, we've been fortunate to have leaders, and I'm not, you know, taking credit for myself because it was a collective effort, that, that when you see something over the long haul and you look down the road and you say, so, so what does this mean to the future of Orange County? We made a conscious decision to say, you know what, those roads are going to be essential for mobility, for transportation, for the environment, uh, because cars sitting on a freeway, idling in traffic, not moving, not a good thing for the environment. We did a conservation plan. But the interesting thing about it is now we have other entities from other places okay. coming like, to like see. We'd like to do what you did. Exactly. <laughs> and, and whether it's the transponder technology that we use now, where you don't have to exchange money with the person, you just zip right on through. So those, that's just one example of the things that, that we do here in Orange County. Uh, but it's also been done in concert with some of the universities and colleges, including Cal State Fullerton, where we have partnered and tested and researched and it's resulted in some positive outcomes, not only for us, but being uh, replicated in other places. Well, you are the consummate gentleman, and I know that. And so you talked a lot about people holding the door open for you. Um, I, will, uh, I will go ahead and say that you broke down a bunch of doors, too. Um, you, you probably did it uh, in a genteel way because that's who you are, but you, but you broke through. You know, the youngest police officer in the city of Orange, as you said, the first person of color, the first Latino on the board of supervisors. But that's a big jump to go from being a police officer to being a, uh, a supervisor. What was it that uh, pushed you to make that move? 
Well, actually, it, it's interesting because I get that question a lot. In fact, I, it's, it's sort of broader. A lot of people say, well, how do you go from being a police officer to being a U.S. ambassador? How, how, <laughs> how, how do you make that leap? How does that go? And I say, well, it's, it's, it's a long, winding journey. It, it, one, it was, uh, I think you have to commit yourself. Uh, and again, I don't want to sound self-serving here, but I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on the basis of what my parents uh, ingrained in us, which is uh, to have a strong work ethic. Uh, my dad used to say, work hard every day so you have a job the next day. And, and you know, this is coming from a man who could have lost a job and been out of a job. But his philosophy was you work hard every day so you have a job the next day. Uh, and I've always made that my creed, that whether I'm a police officer or an ambassador or, or a county supervisor or director of the Peace Corps or the governor's appointment secretary, uh, I give it a thousand percent. Uh, in everything that I've ever done, and and I believe that when you when you commit yourself to do the best that you can do at what you're doing, uh, the doors will open and opportunities will develop. So in my case, I was a police officer. Uh, I was hired by the city of Riverside to work in the city manager's office because I wanted to experience management of a city of a large city, and so I I left law enforcement to take on that. Uh, frankly, to be candid with you, I had applied just to test my marketability to see if, well, I can go from law enforcement. I wonder if I could ever be in city government at the executive level. And uh, it was a far reach. I thought, I'm I'm not going to hear back from these guys. There's no way they're going to call me back. And they did. And, and that transitioned me to the city government. Then a few years later, I came back to Orange County to work for the man that I would eventually succeed on the Board of Supervisors as an aide to uh, then Supervisor Bruce Nestandy. And um, then was recruited to Edison, worked at Edison, then was called by the governor uh, and by Governor George Duke Majin and asked if I would be willing to come and serve as the Hispanic liaison from the governor to the Hispanic community in California, then was eventually promoted to deputy appointment secretary and chief deputy appointment secretary, which is the person who was responsible to advise the governor on executive appointments. Uh, and in, Washington, or in Sacramento, you're one of the most popular guys in town because okay. you make the recommendations <laughs> of the governor on who gets appointed to what. And so uh, that was an incredible experience. So as I look at the at the steps in my career, each one of them was a building block to the next thing. Not consciously, not by design, but I learned, I, I grasped the opportunity in the moment to edify and inform myself, which prepared me for the for the uh, the next job, but with with a legacy, if you will, of leaving a good taste in people about what Gaddy Vasquez did while he worked here, and now he's over there, and then he went went on, and so when. The president nominated me to be director of the Peace Corps uh, was was a supreme honor. And of course, anyone who understands the process, it stands for Senate confirmation, which you know, in and of itself is is a challenge. <laughs> uh, if anybody's ever watched on C-SPAN where, you know, you'll see these nominees sitting at the table and taking the questions. I, I, I did that and was unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate, which nowadays is, is rare. very rare. Yeah. And so uh, and then the president eventually nominated me to be the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. agencies in Rome. But it's, it's as I look back on all of that. As my father said when he was, uh, was on his deathbed, he was on the last leg of his life, and he had learned that I would be nominated to be U.S. ambassador to the UN agencies that were dealing with world hunger, poverty, disease. Uh, he said to me, uh, you've been preparing for this job your whole life. And, and, and he was right because I had, no one had to teach me about poverty. 
I lived in poverty. Nobody had to tell me what it was like to live without this and without that. Uh, we lived on bare bones, but we made the best of it. And so every one of my career steps uh, has been something that builds upon uh, the next opportunity. And uh, I think that's really important in one's life. And, and we live in a society now where I forget what the number is, but uh, researchers have said that in the course of a person's life today in America, you'll change jobs you know, multiple times. Right. And today, jobs that exist today may not exist five years from now. Sure. And jobs that don't exist today will exist five years from now. So I, uh, I moved around quite a bit from wearing a police uniform and driving a patrol car in the graveyard shift in the city of Orange to uh, sitting with the president of the United States in the White House and taking my oath of office as director of the Peace Corps in the Oval Office with the president uh, in attendance. So it's been great. Well, I, I hear you saying it's not it wasn't an intentional intended journey mm-hmm. um, and uh, that uh, uh, your approach was to give it a thousand percent at every point but I will tell you that if you look at your uh, CV if you look at um, where you've been and what you've done there is a continuity there is a theme you could have gone many ways in many directions and in government in particular there are there are there seem to be two types of people to me people who do this because um it is uh self-fulfilling uh and and i don't mean that in a negative way at all mm-hmm. but but it is about what 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 is my next move and what can i do and how can i be perceived and then there are people who do this because from a selfless caring perspective and seeing the directions that you've taken with the Peace Corps and uh, your um, your uh, appointment to, to, to Rome, it's all over the uh, signature of selflessness mm-hmm. as opposed to selfishness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that is instilled from the start. And I, w- I could ask you why, but you've already begun to answer that with uh, the example that your parents set and the people uh, who surrounded you set as you grew. And I should add, you know, you hit a nerve with me because as I matured in some of these positions, I also came to the realization that uh, I was now empowered to be the voice for those who could not speak for themselves, right. to advocate for those who could not. I, I, I spoke at the UN. I, I spoke before Congress uh, advocating for more funding to, to feed people both here and abroad uh, and, and to recruit more Peace Corps volunteers to do good things around the world. So I think that, that I think you're onto something, Fran, because it is, you know, when I was a police officer, it, I went into it because I wanted to be of help to people. I right. wanted to be the first responder. I wanted to be the person that was there to calm things down and help people out. And yeah, it, it went, it followed that path. But I also discovered that when I realized, hey, I've got a microphone, I've got a bully pulpit, I've got to use this to, to, to better the lives of those who can't fight for and advocate for themselves. And, um, and one of the tur- turning points for me as it relates to something I've done my whole life, which is advocate for children, was that was the, the homicide, the murder of a six-year-old boy in the city of Orange mm-hmm. that I was involved in in terms of the investigation process. And and I was very young, but it it, it just, Todd Rockwood, and he, he was a victim of homicide by a living boyfriend. And that forever changed my life because I thought, you know what? I'm going to dedicate a percentage of my time 
to children and to the defense of the protection of children because this six-year-old should not have died. And it, it, it changed everything. And then I added to that, you know, people suffering with poverty, with hunger, uh, and all those kinds of things on, on huge scales. I mean, like you, you know, you've traveled to Africa, you know what it's like. And, and so when you travel to these developing countries and you see the human suffering and you see that, that people are dying of disease, of, of food insecurity, particularly the children, when, when you visit these remote places on earth. And, and I always say to people, you know, kids are amazing because it doesn't matter where you are in the world or how poor the conditions are in, somehow kids find a way to, you know. They're still playing. Absolutely. Still laughing, they bring a smile. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and every time I would visit those kinds of communities overseas, I came back inspired and I thought, you know what? I'm going to fight the fight because I've been given uh, the position to influence the narrative, uh, the funding, those kinds of things. So that's really important. And I guess I'm, I want to convey to listeners too that you have to at some point look at yourself, examine yourself, uh, and, and, and realize what you've been given and use the tools that you have developed in your course, your career, your life, and use them to the betterment of society. And I think at the end of the day, uh, the, the sense of, of gratification and fulfillment, not because your name is in lights, not because a building has been named after you, but because you have this sense of, of accomplishment uh, and fulfillment, uh, you can ride into the twilight with a sense of satisfaction that is- uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Gaddy, what you just touched on is I think probably uh, a really important issue. Um, you know, I spent 30 years as a lawyer and corporate America representing mm -hmm. fortune 50 companies. And it was great, you know, and business is important. It helps run the world and it helps feed people and all those things. But, uh, I found a different calling, uh, with education and with helping students and, and creating a future for tomorrow. But people listening to us talk might be thinking to themselves, how can you be so selfless? How can you give away? And I want to let people know, at least from my perspective, that this is just as selfish as being uh, 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 working only for the money or working only for the prestige. Because at least for myself, I get a, such a, a, a sense of uh, accomplishment and fulfillment by doing these things for others, it's an adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. Once you learn that by giving yourself away, you actually fulfill yourself more than in that way than in any other way possible in life, um, it becomes addicting. Mm -hmm. And I just want to know, is, did you feel the same way? Well, it goes back to the illustration of my mother giving those burritos, you know, to those who knocked on the door. And it was never, who are you? How long have you been living on the street? It was never a question of whether you merited some of her culinary uh, uh, treats. She, she would just offer it and give it and unconditionally. And so I was raised with that kind of unconditional never putting up barriers, never trying to find an excuse to say no to someone, but rather to find always a way to say yes. How can I help? How can I make a difference in your life? And so it's, it, it, it is a sense of fulfillment. And it is one that I think is predicated on, you know, where we've come from and what we've lived in life. And like you, I've had the opportunity to work for a, you know, Fortune 100 company, sure. a large enterprise, one of the most uh, 
largest energy companies in the country. A great in the nation. institution. Yeah, and, and but it's a company with a heart. Mm -hmm. It is, a, and that was important to me that I was drawn to this company because it it awards million, literally millions of dollars in scholarships and underserved, economically disadvantaged communities. It finds ways to help people who have challenges in affordability of electricity and whatnot. And and I I would remind some of our colleagues at at Edison would say because they were fascinated sometimes with the reaction of some people in, in underserved communities, economically disadvantaged. And I would, I would just remind them and say, you got to remember something. Some of the people who have immigrated to this country come from places where they don't have electricity. Yeah, there's no utility uh, at all. Yeah. And, and, if, and if, they, if they do have it, it's intermittent. And even if it's intermittent, it still costs a fortune to have that intermittent power. Immigrants who arrive here, whether it's Latin America or other places, come here and there are light switches everywhere. They're amazed. And you can turn it on unconditionally. Mm -hmm. So for me to be involved in an enterprise that brings a lot of good things to uh, to the community and to people's lives uh, was was part of that, that sense of fulfillment that I'm affiliated with someone that is doing good in the community and particularly in Southern California where the diversity is so, so significant. So I've been fortunate to be able to find and, and land in places where I do find that sense of satisfaction that it's, it's, you know, it, it was worth driving from orange to rosemead every day for, for a decade almost, uh, and, and be able to be affiliated with, with people who care. And, and that's, that's been consistent throughout. And so I think if there's ever a time that, that we need to think about that, it's, it's now, because I think in Orange County, uh, I remind people that there are, there are many of our residents who are suffering, and children who are suffering from food insecurity who are suffering from substandard housing, who are living on the streets. There are families who are living on the streets. There are working poor who are living on the streets and trying to find refuge. So what I encourage people to do is to think about that, uh, give where you can, support the causes that are important. Uh, and, uh, and, and I will say that uh, I, I continue to be moved by the generosity of philanthropy in Orange County. It, it is just a remarkable, remarkable achievement. And consistently, year in and year out, I just saw the list a couple of days ago of all the philanthropies in Orange County and what they've raised in, in, in a pandemic era. Right. And some of these organizations have, and, and Cal State Fullerton is certainly you know, amongst those, have gone through the roof. And I say, behind every dollar that is given, uh, there's goodwill by somebody who's written a check, given a contribution, even in difficult times. And has decided that uh, the future is worthy of investment. Absolutely. Okay. So along those lines, our listeners are going to be mostly uh, Titans, mostly Titan students. Um, and just as a quick reminder for you of who those people are, 50% Latinx. Mm -hmm. Uh, number one in California for graduating women, graduating Latinx students. Number three in the nation for graduating students of color. Uh, number three in the nation for uh, uh, just last this week voted number three in the nation for best college for first generation students. Wow. Um, a, a rigorous university, uh, number 13 in the nation for academic rigor, according to a study at, at Duke University. Um, these are titan families that are full of uh dreaming of equity inclusion diversity social justice so you grew up in, like many of our students have grown up you uh uh were have were supported and promoted by fam by family members telling you to go to college even though they didn't know what that meant what advice uh 
might you give to our listeners, especially to our students, on issues of resilience, tenacity, determination, hope, dreams? What might you say to them that, that are listening right now? Well, I, I think it's important to set a path for yourself that that you open with an understanding that the road will not always be easy. It will come with its challenges. We live in an era uh, of time that technology and innovation is changing our lives almost on a daily basis. Day, yeah. uh, about the time you master one thing, there's a new device, there's a new social media, there's a new this, there's a new that. Uh, so I think, uh, and for me, I've always said to people that even at my age, I remain and maintain by design a highly in a, uh, a highly intellect for, uh, of curiosity. I mean, the, the level of curiosity. Lifelong learner. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I, and I want to know how does that work? You know, why did that not work, and why did that work? What is it that is influencing people? Uh, and and if we understand society, we can, I think, achieve better things in life because we come to understand what motivates us, what motivates others, and then ultimately what motivates society. And I, I've always maintained a high level of curiosity as to understanding about backstories and whatnot. So I think having intellectual curiosity for a lifetime, in my opinion, is is one of the things that we all ought to be doing. Uh, and, and, and the other part of it is, of course, understanding that when you're the first generation of a college graduate, uh, represent that first generation, never lose sight of the fact that you may have siblings, relatives, cousins, and others uh, in the family who can follow your course and your path. So never forgetting where you came from is an, and I know it sounds cliche to say that, but it is an imperative and there is, there is value in that. Uh, and I also believe that uh, maintaining relationships with the people who who helped you along the way, who mentored you. Uh, I've stayed in touch with the people that have been my professors, my teachers, my first speech coach in middle school, high school, uh, which was one of the ways that I also, because I was in debate, I was in oratory, I was a champion, I was a winner. I achieved scholarships by virtue of my oratorical competitive, competitive skills and whatnot. Uh, so I, I still know where to find these folks if I ever need to, even at this age, to be able to go back and, and just reminisce about old times and, and what worked and you know, sort of recalibrate where you need to do that. Uh, and, and to stay agile, I mean, to, to really maintain a level of agility that you can adapt to changing course as you need to do so going forward. Uh, and not be discouraged by that change or fear change. We shouldn't fear the future. We should be shaping the future and, and managing uh, not only societal future, but our own future and thinking about how do I fit into the future scheme of things. Uh, and sometimes it's difficult, it's challenging, but I, I think that if you prepare yourself, you surround yourself, you know, in the Latino community, we, we, we have a saying that, dime con quien andas y te digo quien eres. Uh, literal translation is, tell me who you hang around with and I'll tell you who you are. Mm -hmm. And and I think uh, that that still holds true today, is that if you you associate yourself, that, that police chief in the city of Orange, God bless him, he's, he's resting now, but I, uh, uh, when he called me into his office, I was 19 years old. And at that time, you had to be at least 20 and a half, if not 21, uh, to put on a badge and gun. And I... It was one of those why me moments. And he was very explicit that he had, he had confidence and trust that I could manage a responsibility at that age of being a police officer. And so I went off to the Los Angeles Police Academy and uh, I was the 
the class speaker valedictorian at the academy. We were there were only two of us from the city of Orange and two for three from Newport Beach. Everybody else was LAPD because it was their it's their academy. Sure. But he had an arrangement where he could send the Orange people to the LA Police Academy. And I, I, he told me later, he said, you know, I was sitting next to Chief Ed Davis, the, the chief of LAPD at the sure. time. And, and he, he, the, our chief told me this. And he said, he said, Davis leaned over into me as you were giving your speech. And he said to me, be careful. You have a tiger by the tail. <laughs> <laughs> and the chief said, I'm fine. I've known this kid since he was 14. I, I know this kid. And so he shared that with me. And uh I was I was moved and I was touched, but the fact that he was willing to take a chance, to take a risk, and I think I, I, I met my end of the deal. You know, I, I served honorably without any problems or issues, and um, uh, it was the it was the beginning, and, and no different than when the governor's office called. Uh, I the governor's office called and and they said they wanted to talk to you about going into the administration. I said I'm not interested. I've just started at Edison. I'm I'm happy right here where I'm at. So I've only been there a few months. And this person said, Gaddy, we're talking about the governor of the state of California. You need to at least meet with the governor. And I did. And uh, I was so, so moved by the integrity, the persona of George Duke Majin, uh, who had had uh, was a descendant of, of Armenian parents and right. the first Armenian governor elected in the history of the United States of America. Yeah. And so that that bond was almost immediate when I learned of his trajectory and that of his family fleeing the genocide. And uh, and I was fortunate to work for for a man who today remains in polls and surveys as uh, a governor who has the highest degree of respect from the people of California for integrity and public service. Because his his mindset was about making California a greater place for all, all people. Uh, and that was a real big motivator for me. And I think I learned a little bit about using your position of influence as a leader, as an influencer, to advance that kind of, of cultural mindset, to be inclusive, to create opportunities, because he would articulate frequently his sense of California's place, not just in the nation, but in the world. He could see the long runway uh, that was ahead for California and the land of opportunity could become. And so I was drawn to that. So it goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is uh, not by design, but it just so happened that I was able to associate myself with people who cared about creating opportunities in the future. So I love that these transitions are coming naturally. Um, what you're referring to in Governor Duke Majin and in so many people that I've the people that I come across in my life that are especially in in, in public service, rather than calling them politicians, these are public servants. Right. Right. People like Leon Panetta, mm -hmm. people like uh, Warren Christopher, mm -hmm. people like uh, Dick Ackerman. Right. Um, uh, and even people in private life who are gra galvanizing, people like David Brooks, mm -hmm. they are uh, community builders. They Their views are not taken as politically one side or the other. And that's how I see you. And Absolutely. I, ho I hope you take that as a compliment, not as anything else. But in the world that we are living in today, with so much of uh, the political discourse being balkanized, the right vilifying the left, the left vilifying the right, um, uh, 
trying to be obstreperous rather than community building. Um, uh, here you are, mm-hmm. a Latino Republican mm-hmm. in the middle of Orange County with a foot, well, not even just a foot, your whole body in both sides, both mm-hmm. camps. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you are such a strong uh, symbol of what collaboration and cooperation can be. Um, how do we cultivate leaders like that, Gaddy? Uh, we need so many more of them, and we seem to have less and less of them rather than more and more of them. How do we find them? How do we support them? How do we hold them up? Well, I think I, I I grew up where nobody made the distinction. Now, did I get hate mail? Did I get racial slurs and things that were directed at me when I was first elected? Sure. But that was a very, very small percentage. And frankly, I disregarded that. Sure. If you asked me to produce something, I, I, they, those would go straight through the shredder. Right. I, the reason for that is that um, I, I was raised in a in a family and in a place where we were about including all and excluding none. And so I was raised with this this well-rounded balance that um, I wanted opportunity to be able to to, to achieve something in life, uh, but I didn't want a special accommodation. I didn't want you to create something for me. I, I was always say, I, I didn't need any side doors. I wanted to walk in through the through the front door just like everybody else does or did. Just as able to do so. Yeah, yeah. And and just give me a fair and equal opportunity. And and I think what's really imperative today is that we we and I count myself amongst them because people that know me know that this is the core of who I am, that I fight I, I'm an American first. I'm grateful to my country for what it has given me, what it has provided me. I've been fortunate to, um, you know, Senator Bob Dole just passed away. Yeah. Uh, I had the privilege of knowing Senator Dole. And and he was an amazing and remarkable human being who who, who sought to bring people together. And, and so in politics, when you see leaders, and there have been many who have who've come and gone, sadly, uh, and people ask me all the time, who do we turn to now? Who, who are the lions of the Senate? Who are the leaders of the future who will look at America as a place for all people, right. not a place where you divide and conquer? Not a partisan. Uh, yeah. And, and I, so I think that all of us need to remind ourselves that we are Americans first and that when you're in a role of leadership, you have to, you have to protect the institution above all else. And not just yourself and be self-serving or to to use the the rhetoric of division and hatred uh, and and hostility to divide people and to create a, a a division by design, which is detrimental to our society, to our nation, our country, our communities, our cities, our counties. You know, we, we live in a place now where sadly and unfortunately people will go to dinner with someone and, and on the way to the dinner, you know, people will discuss the ground rules. Here's what we can talk about. Here's what we can't talk about. Right. Because if you bring that up, you know, it, it's going to be problematic. Um, I come from a school that says we should all be able to have discussions about our, our country, our civilly, and do it respectfully. Because you know what? I once heard uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy, who I have a great respect for, uh, give a speech. And, and he said something that on its face sounds so simple. But yet in this era in which we live is so critically important. He said, every generation in our society uh, are trustees and stewards of our nation, of our democracy, 
and the preservation of that democracy for the next generation. Yeah. You know, so in some sense, we are the keepers of the light, the light of liberty, the light of inclusiveness, the light of respect, the light of civility, the 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 the, the light of being able to disagree on things. And those and aren't partisan issues. Yeah, and and but but at the end of the day, we all stand as Americans, whether we're brown, whether we're white black, whatever our color, whatever our creed, whatever our background, um, this this great nation uh, that we call the United States of America uh, has given us so much. And when we see a place like Orange County that continues to be a robust destination, a place where we still celebrate, celebrate uh, in a patriotic way, where we respect each other, uh, have room to grow, obviously, still imperfect, uh, but it's critically important to our time because our young people and our children uh, are learning, going back to Justice Kennedy's quote, that we who are the current trustees, they're watching, they're listening. And, uh, and I certainly hope that in the not too distant future, we can put aside those deeply rooted divisions that have caused uh, and created the climate in which we're in to get us to a better place as, as a people, as a nation. Uh, I think it was, it was uh, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher once said, uh, uh, you, you don't have to love me, but you do have to respect me. And I think we all at our core deserve uh, and are entitled to have the respect of, uh, of our fellow citizens, regardless of what our views are. So that makes me ask a really selfish question. Why the heck did you stop that supervisor? Why aren't you running for office? Why aren't you, you know, we need you to do these things. Uh, did you just decide that was not the path that you wanted? Because I'm, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that would love you to be doing that. Well, it, it's a, uh, it, it was an honor to be able to serve in elected office. I have been honored to have been appointed uh, to four presidential positions, two that required Senate confirmation. I was on the on the President's Commission on White House Fellowships, which is the program that that. Colin Powell first came to attention because he was a fellow. And I watched for years uh, the amazing talent that America has to offer of all colors, of all backgrounds. I mean, Senator or, or General Powell was a good example of that. So it's a kind of thing where I have, I have been op had the opportunity to, to give back and to give back unconditionally and to be able to uh, help people achieve and realize their dreams. And I have found other ways to make a contribution to society I, because, you know, when it's all said and done, I can articulate and say, you know, as my wife has said, um, so when you pass, uh, uh, what should I put on your tomb? Do I put supervisor? <laughs> do I put ambassador? Do I put director? Do well, I, what, enough room. What, 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 do I, what do I use? I said, well, how about just Gaddy? That'll do. That'll suffice. Because, uh, um, you know, I, I'm, I've just been really fortunate, very blessed to be able to give in different places in different venues in different circumstances. And I'm, I'm a, a very satisfied, very content person. But what I also have today is like this conversation is the opportunity to articulate uh, and to do so in a way that I hope is constructive, is meaningful, um, and, and is based on the predicate of having lived this journey, having traveled the world extensively, having listened to how people perceive America. Um, and uh, I'll never forget being in Morocco and coming out of the one of the large mosques in Casablanca and having young, a young lad as I was coming out with the, the staff and, and he says, excuse me, where are you from? And I said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm from the United States. He said, he looked at me, he says, I said, I'm an American. He, he looked at me and he says, you, you're not American. You don't look like an American. I said, what do you mean? 
And he says, well, the color of your skin, what's your name? I said, Vasquez. Well, your name, that, that's not American. And, uh, and it gave me the opportunity to articulate to this young man what it is to be an American, that you can be of a different color, that you can have a different last name, because he had drawn conclusions about Americans uh, that uh, were obviously a little bit misguided or uninformed, but it gave me the opportunity to inform him. I later found out in the day when I was traversing that area with the US ambassador to Morocco, who pointed out that even in the poorest areas of, of, of Casablanca, there were antennas and TVs powered by car batteries, and that, uh, many of the residents there would view American broadcasting. And it was from those images right. that they would conclude what an American was or wasn't. Mm -hmm. And the images that they saw on that screen Didn't drove them to uh, determine what an American was about. And yeah. so I, I contributed my little, my little niche. So we're talking, what we're really talking about is leadership here uh, in so many ways. Um, and so I want to put two questions together here. First of all, what are your views on what makes a great leader? And then with that in mind, you have all people who rub shoulders with uh, presidents and popes and uh, uh, everybody in between. Who are some of your hero leaders? Who, are, who do you think are some of the best examples of leadership? Well, I would say, uh, let, let me begin by saying that uh, uh, leadership in, as I've defined it in part, is as someone once said that uh, one of the, the traits of a great leader is not so much how much uh, you accomplish, but how many people you bring with you in the course of accomplishment. And I've always embraced that because again, it goes to who I am, that it's not about me. It's about the, it's about the institution that I'm affiliated with. And if I can bring a whole slew of people with me to achieve the same thing, to accomplish the same thing, to get to a better place, then life will have been totally fulfilling. Uh, in terms of heroes uh, and people that I think are leaders that, uh, uh, and let me go back to one more thing too, is what I've already said, which is you have to put yourself above yourself uh, and you have to have the willingness to be courageous. Uh, you have to have the, the ability to take the incoming and the criticism. Uh, someone once said that, uh, that the definition of critic is someone who comes down from the mountain after the battle and shoots the wounded. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of a harsh yeah. description, but, but, but real, but, but real, yeah. particularly given our society today where you can, you know, be attacked on social media and have a, just a barrage of incoming, uh, which is in some cases why people choose not to pursue public life or elected sure. office Absolutely. because uh, a wife, a spouse, the children, all of them are drawn into this kind of a thing. And I think that as a society, as a nation, as a community, regardless of what office you run for, we run the jeopardy here of of good people, not, not just good people, but great people and great leaders from pursuing elected office at a time when we need, need the most. smart, strategic uh, leaders with with a long view, which is what I think was a trait of some of our greatest leaders, whether it's Senator Dole or Senator Inoue of Hawaii, uh, who I came to know both war heroes who had made personal physical sacrifices during the war, but still came home and served in the United States Senate for decades, differing parties, uh, but they f looked for common ground because America and the institution was greater than themselves. And they understood that because they had made a personal sacrifice of incredible proportions. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important. Uh, I think in the category of people that I've, I've admired greatly, uh, General Powell, who I came to know, he was the Secretary of State when I was um, 
uh, serving as director of the Peace Corps, so we had the opportunity to interact. The fact that he was a trailblazer, uh, a hero, uh, a, a man who loved country, uh, who put the country above himself, a uh, Governor Duke Majin, who I've mentioned, uh, a person who I know for a fact passed on higher opportunities in public life at a national level because he loved California. Uh, but his level of integrity, his, his level of commitment, his humility and authenticity, I remember him saying to me one time, Gaddy, just remember one thing. The day you start to believe your own headlines is the day you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I've carried that my whole life. Uh, so I think that uh, someone like him is a, is a great role model in terms of that. And of course, you know, my parents uh, who my dad has passed, my mother's 86 and still with us. Um, but they are the ones that I have had the grounding that I've had. And along the way, I've met great leaders. And it's always been about integrity, authenticity, transparency, and willing to, to put some skin in the game, not for their own purpose, but to make the society and the culture around us a little bit better in this journey. Because I think that when we all get to uh, over the mountaintop and we're on the backside of the mountain, looking at the twilight of our lives and our careers, I think we all uh, should or want to look, be able to look back and say, you know, I, I gave it a good fight. I did what I could do and I left it a little better than when I found it, how I found it. And I, I hope I'm able to, when I get to that point, not, not anywhere near there yet, but when I get to that point, I want to be able to look back uh, with a sense of satisfaction that uh, I've hopefully motivated, inspired, uh, created opportunities, been the advocate, the champion for those who could not fight or champion for themselves, and it made a difference in, in society and made it a little better. Well, we're, we're, we're coming to the end, so I'm going to do one fun thing with you first, All and right. then I'll ask you one final Great. question. So uh, this is something we do always. Uh, it's not something I invented. I saw it many times, but I think it's really fun, and that's a lightning round where you're just going to answer exactly what comes into your head right when I ask the question. So what's your favorite book? My favorite book? Uh, I would have to say the, this, uh, the Bible is. Okay. What's your favorite word? Loving. Okay. Favorite song? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I have so many songs that I like. I don't have one in particular. Okay. Favorite movie? Uh, again, I, I'm a movie buff, so I could rattle off two dozen. Uh, there isn't one that really rises to the top. Are you a hot dog or hamburger guy? I'm a hot dog guy. Okay. Dogs or cats? Dogs. All right. Uh, what's your favorite holiday? Christmas. Uh, you like red or green salsa? Red. I know because I've been <laughs> I've been eating it for the last week. It's all gone already. It's good. so, so well, there's good. There's more where so, that came so from, oh, man. I can assure you. You like warm weather or cold weather? I like... Uh, it depends on the time of year. I, during the holidays, I love cold weather, just Christmas. But uh, I, I probably like warm weather more than I do cold weather. Yeah. All right. This is, uh, um, you know, Cal State Fullerton is the largest undergraduate university in the state, one of the biggest in the country. Uh, we do it very differently here from our perspective. We believe in diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice. We draw from all over our county. Um, we are from a county that has affluence and has poverty, mm -hmm. and we draw from both and we bring them together. Uh, we are committed to paying it forward, to building a better Orange County, a better California, a better nation. 
Um, our students, all our students, no matter where they come from, come with dreams and aspirations. Um, perhaps most importantly, though, uh, we have 310,000 alums that uh, 50, live within 50 miles of this campus. Mm -hmm. We are Orange County. Half the, half the nurses, half the teachers, half the accountants, half the engineers uh, in Orange County come from Cal State Fullerton. Yeah, when you ask that question, how many in the audience are first-gen graduates and people raise their hand, how many you think are Titans? So, mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. so I know your commitment to Orange County. You love Orange County. It's your home. It's our home. So what would you say to our students who are listening right now, guiding them, pushing them to... Um, fulfill the dream that they have for living in Orange County and building a better Orange County. This is your chance to reach out to them right now um, and fill them up a little bit. I think what's important is to to stay the course, understanding that uh, the, the, the road travel is not without its challenges, but that uh, we are fortunate to be living in a region, specifically Orange County, but obviously it, it spills into adjoining counties. Sure. I just read this week that Riverside, San Bernardino County, for example, fastest growing economy in the nation, uh, let alone California. Mm -hmm. So we're, there are next door neighbors and many commuters who come to work here. But I think what we have done in Orange County is we have created uh, a, a series of opportunities, uh, incubators for science, medicine, technology, biotech, innovation. And I think the important thing is to stay the course, fight the fight, uh, set down your markers, and, and identify for yourself the sense of purpose that you need to endure and to weather the storms that will undoubtedly come. I think what's important to recognize, too, is that there are some great leaders in corporate Orange County who have laid the foundation for opportunity in the future. And we need to build upon that that future. And, and I, you know, Fram, I'm, I'm optimistic. And I, I, as director of the Peace Corps, I I used to get a lot of feedback from young Peace Corps volunteers who, you know, I'm here to save the world. Don't bother me with the details, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I was always be amused by that. And I thought they're young, they're energetic, they're enthusiastic. And, and, and I'm, I'm a believer that, you know what, break it loose. Let, let these young people, because I do believe that their views of the world, their views of society, particularly the, the millennials and, and those generations that are coming behind them, many of the students who are here at campus, uh, I, I think we're headed in a good direction. Now, as older adults today, we may look on and say, oh boy, you know, we're in trouble. I'm not sure this is going, but I'll tell you what, I meet some brilliant young Absolutely. men and women and on this campus in particular, and, and I just walk away in awe. And I think, okay, we're okay. We're going to be okay because the color of hair may not be my first choice, but what's in that head is the color clearly, of the heart is there. and in the heart um though those I, I walk away feeling good i'm going to be fine and and i just have to as an older person adapt to the idea that uh you know when i was growing up somebody thought i was you know that the chief had a tiger by the tail and so i i don't think i'm a tiger by the tail but but i think i've made an impact and so i learned from that that uh young people today are, are, are much more tolerant uh they're about inclusiveness um, they're not afraid to speak uh, 
you know, to power uh, and shout it out and hold people accountable and expect people to be held accountable. Uh, and, and I think those are all positive indicators. And again, it goes back to that trustee stewardship that we have, that when we hand off the baton or the, the, the torch to the next generation, I hope they get a full grasp of it. And as, as you've asked me the question, I think that every man and woman who attends school here at Cal State Fullerton has a potential to hold a little bit of that torch and carry it on to the next generation. Uh, and we'll continue to see a very robust, a very inclusive, a very diverse uh, county that will continue to be an economic catalyst, not only for California, but for the nation and the world. Yep. And I think those are all positives. So we're in the, you, you, you called out Christmas as your favorite holiday. Yes, indeed. And uh, we're in the season. Um, of course, I want to wish all our listeners a blessed holiday, whether it's Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, or any other way in which you celebrate. Do you have a favorite, a, f a favorite Christmas memory to close us out? Well, I, I celebrate every Christmas because I'm, I'm particularly this one, as you know, um, I'm, I'm grateful that, that I'm sitting here today, yeah. uh, having had a recent challenge that, that posed a little bit of a threat. And uh, so I'm grateful for it, but I also think that it is an important time, uh, and, and, and I don't, I really mean this very, very sincerely, and I think it's important for all of us to reflect on how blessed and how fortunate we are, but in this holiday season, to find a moment, a time, a place where we can help uh, and assist uh, our fellow man, our neighbors, our community, a family down the street that you know has a great need. Maybe dad, mom's lost a job. Maybe they've been put on hiatus, whatever it might be, that we find a place to, to manifest. I was in a restaurant the other day uh, in, uh, in La Quinta, uh, and we were having breakfast, and uh, 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 there was an elderly woman sitting by herself having breakfast, uh, and she completed her breakfast. We were, we were starting our breakfast, and, and she got up, and she, she went to pay. And the woman at the counter, the cash register said, actually, your breakfast has already been paid for. She says, what do you mean? She said, there's a gentleman who paid for your breakfast. And well, where is he? Well, he left. He's gone. Well, who was he? I don't know. He was just mm -hmm. the guy who said, give me her check. I'll pay for her breakfast. Mm -hmm. I, I, it was amazing to me, which compelled us, of course, to follow suit and take the next person. And, and that may seem trivial and small, Not at all. but I'll tell you, it, it's, it's, it's worth its weight in gold because that's how you begin to change. I think a little bit of the culture that when you see someone in need or appears to be in need or, or just a gesture of goodwill, uh, those are the kinds of things you do during the holidays, I think, mm -hmm. that can uh, not only make you feel good and blessed for it, but also be a blessing to someone who uh, will also derive from what you have. So that's what I suggest to people. Well, this has been, I knew it would be, this has been full and rich and an honor. And I want to wish you and your amazing family a, a blessed, blessed holiday, a blessed Christmas. And I want to wish all of our Titan family a blessed holiday. Stay safe, stay strong. We'll see you in the uh, in the, in the spring semester. Yeah, and well, we look forward to welcoming you back uh, for your honorary doctorate. You'll be graduating with 12,000 other Titans. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. Thanks Appreciate so much, it. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to Fram and Friends, a collaboration between Titan Radio and Cal State Fullerton. For more episodes like the one you just heard, visit titanradio.org.